When I decided to open a second location, the Brentwood Country Mart was the only place on earth I wanted to be. I'm Laura Vinrootpool from Capital, and this is what we wore, the Brentwood Country Mart edition. Jim Rosenfield is the owner of the Brentwood Country Mart. He's a village maker, an artist, and a remarkable leader. But Jim's most charming quality is the way that he lifts those around him and makes them shine. Remind me when we first met. I was asking around, you know, where do you shop or what's your favorite multi-branded fashion store? And Irene Neuwirth said to me, and I remember it very <laughs> clearly, actually, my favorite multi-branded women's fashion store is Capital. She said, do you know Capital? And I said, no. <laughs> and she said, well, it's in Charlotte, North Carolina. And based on her recommendation, I sent you that note and came to see you. And I'm so glad that I did. And it was such a memorable visit. It, it um, was. And I took you to all the best places, didn't I? I took you to, to the biggest dive in Charlotte because I knew you were you showed cool me, enough to handle you showed it. Me all, <laughs> you showed me all around. That was fun having a beer. But what was most impressive was seeing your store. I recall being there and seeing all the beautiful dresses and jewelry and shoes and and um, everyone was dressed so beautifully and at some point I said where is everyone and like, you where said are the clients? yes uh, because everyone was dressed all your salespeople and you were all showing me the store but <laughs> no one else was there and you said oh we're not open today we're it's Sunday <laughs> we're, we're closed today we just opened for you and I, I just couldn't believe that you would do that and it was amazing well, Southerners have we have nice manners sometimes. <laughs> we try. We try well, to be good hostesses. Well, and, and part of that is the magic of of having you open in Los Angeles because to bring your beautifully colored clothing and and the kind people, good manners. I mean, <laughs> I always say I only lease to kind people. You know, you can't legislate good customer service, but I find that kind people hire kind people and there's a trickle down. You are a Southern California guy. You, you grew up in Los Angeles? I did in the San Fernando Valley, which is uh, not a bad area, but it was sort of the wrong side of the tracks. I didn't want to be in the San Fernando Valley and I would take the beach bus to the beach. And when it was overcast, I would uh, find my way to the Brentwood Country Mart. My friends and I would have chicken and French fries. And I thought, this is the right part of town. This is where you want to be if you can. <laughs> Do you remember the first time you went? I don't, but I, I was there yesterday and I, I think kids, you know, of that age all look, you know, they still look the same. It's, there's a certain, you come, you know, before or after the beach and there's, <laughs> there's still that crowd and I can see myself, you know, I must've been in my uh, teen, in my teens. If your mom were still with us, how do you think she would describe you as a child? maybe precocious. Uh, people said we were a lot alike. That wasn't always easy, but I, my mom had good taste and she allowed us, I have two brothers, we all decorated our room in, with my mom, you know, and so I really enjoyed that. And if I think about fashion, which I, I don't think about all that often, <laughs> but, but if I do, I think I got a lot of fashion sense from my mom. Did you know what you wanted to do when you grew up? I mean, did you always have big dreams? 
I did have big dreams, but I didn't know what I wanted to do. I thought maybe government or politics. I was not a great student um, when I was young, and I didn't really understand you know, why I wasn't doing better. I, I, I'm dyslexic, but I didn't know it at the time. While I didn't do that well at school, I didn't do poorly, but I didn't do great at school. I did very well with my after-school jobs and working. And so I had a lot of odd jobs uh, like, like at what? the shopping mall. Uh, I did everything. I sold yogurt and pretzels and washed cars and took out trash bins and <laughs> uh, had a balloon bouquet business and a car detailing business and motion picture studios. And I did it all. Every day I wore an Oxford sweatshirt because I thought in my mind I was going to Oxford. But uh, <laughs> when I applied to colleges, I my parents actually sat me down because they were worried about me. And they said, you know, you're not going to go to Oxford. You're probably not going to go to college. And I said, no, you're wrong. You don't understand. I'm going to Oxford. <laughs> but I didn't get into any colleges. So I went to work in Washington, D.C. And that began my sort of young adult life. I was an intern in Washington, D.C. Didn't pay any money. So I worked at night at a bar in Georgetown. Okay. And I was checking ideas, making sure people were uh, 18, the legal drinking age at that time, yeah. uh, when I was 17. <laughs> but, um, it was, and it was the preppiest bar in Georgetown, the third edition. What was that life working in D.C.? What did you did, did you enjoy it? And what did, what did you learn? Well, it was incredible. Eventually, the congressman figured out what I was doing, you know, moonlighting and gave me more responsibility and a little bit of pay. And uh, it, it got my life started to get better there. But I learned a lot about how government works and how slow it works. And there were really interesting things that I did get to work on and, and had exposure. And I, you know, I went back, I got into Berkeley and I studied political science. I, I was going to ask, Jim, I, I also think wanting something really badly and not being able to get it and then finally getting it, as in getting into Berkeley, once you got there, you must have had a, a, an even bigger love for California and for, for being there, no? Definitely. And that became the story of my life. It was a you know really difficult challenge. For most people getting into college is not such a big deal, but <laughs> I, because I was rejected so many times and... I mean, I actually got letters from every congressman in the state of California every day, you know, to write a letter. And yeah. as I launched a campaign, you know, after a while, not getting <laughs> in, I just thought, you know, they may never let me in, but they're going to know who I am. <laughs> and I, and I, I really pursued it. And finally, this Dean Robert Brownell let me in and it was a big deal. And I did, I loved it. And I did well there because I didn't, have to read books the way I did in high school. And I realized that there are there are some institutions in California that are really amazing. Berkeley's one of them, but there are others and, and some really special places. And I started to think about those special places. And certainly I thought the Department Country Mart was one of them. Yeah, yeah. And so you studied political science and then went back to D.C. and worked with Senator Kennedy. I did. What was that like? It was Good. Again, it was sort of the realization of a dream and something I wanted to do. My mother, who had visited me when I was an intern, physically pushed me into Senator Kennedy when we <laughs> saw him in the hallways of the Senate once in, in, in the Capitol. And, um, you know, I said something to him, like, I'm going to work for you one day. And he said, oh, good, good. Glad to have you aboard. And, and when I actually went to work he, the first day, you know, they introduced me to the senator. And that's what he said. Good, good. Glad to have you aboard. <laughs> that's hilarious. But, uh, I worked with some incredible people. 
it was just to, to realize, you know, what that world was all about. I was curious about it. It was helpful. But ultimately, I decided L.A. was, in my mind, the last place uh, I could go. And I, I, I remember running one day around the Capitol and I was saying, I can go anywhere. I can live anywhere. Where do I want? You know, anywhere but L.A., anywhere but L.A. And then I realized I better go to L.A. Otherwise, I'll be running from it. I better, you know, exactly. go, you know, and figure out what this is all about. And so how did you know that you that real estate was next? I got into real estate with the sole intent of one day owning the Brentwood Country Mart, which is a little unusual. Yeah. Because I wasn't I wasn't trying to make money. I wasn't I just really wanted to have control of that property. Because it was such a positive memory and a nostalgia for you, or was it more preserving old California? I know what it is now, I think, but do you do you know then what it what it was? I remember thinking that uh, there are these places, these special places in America, and this is a uniquely California concept. In fact, I invited uh, Jim Rouse uh, to come visit, and he did, and we sat together at the fire pit at the Brown Country Mart. This was 15 years before I, I got control of it, but he, you know, he, he said to me that he, he wanted to do that project with me and put his hand on my arm, and it was really sweet. This gave me a lot of support and said that my dreams and vision were good and I should stick to it. What was your first thing you did to get to realize that dream? Well, it, you, it took a long time. It, yeah. was, it was 15 years of calling uh, <laughs> the owner and, and uh, he got to know me after a while. And you know, what's the de definition of insanity? Asking the same question, expecting a different response. <laughs> so I realized ultimately I had to change my question, yeah. uh, which is what sort of unlocked the opportunity for me. And But I also used that time to learn the real the fundamentals of real estate. So I did a lot of other work. I wasn't just pursuing the country mart. I was doing work for Sears Roebuck and Company yeah. and buying other buildings and hoping to, to get control of the country mart. And I think about, you know, that Langston Hughes poem, you know, what happens to a dream deferred? It was such a long held vision and dream. I was really feeling like I've, this is something I have to do. You know, I, I'm not going to be okay unless I get this. <laughs> And there was a movie that came out in 2002, I think, uh, called The Good Girl with Jennifer Aniston, where she's working in a retail store. And, right. and, and she says to her boyfriend something to the effect of, I don't want to die with unlived lives still in my veins. Yeah. You know, I was like, you just have, sometimes you just have to do something. Yeah. And that's how I was with the mark. And then, Jim, you kind of mid-career before the country mark, you, you took a sabbatical? I went to... Uh, England and enrolled in art school and painted and thought maybe I should just paint. <laughs> and, um, you know, that would be the most honest thing I could do. And were, um, you, were you good at it? Uh, I don't know if I was good. <laughs> uh, I, um, I enjoyed it. It was fun. Yeah. But I also talk about, you know, getting perspective. It was wonderful in terms of stepping out of your life and looking back and I remember I had a business partner who said, why'd you drop out? You're good at what you do. Come back. Nice things like that happened. And I also looked around at real estate and learned that there are other ways of approaching ownership. And there's other ways of, there are great shopkeepers in England. So I learned a lot about shopkeeping. Yeah, absolutely. And great specialists, I guess. You know, people that yes. make brooms or <laughs> umbrellas. umbrellas. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <Yeah. laughs> um, I want to share a quote from actually from Heather, from your wife. 
Jim looks at everything from an artist's perspective. Every single detail at the Country Mart, even the things most people don't notice, are the result of his artistic viewpoint. He's more interested in the scale and the very subtle color changes and the width of the wood and the type of wood than anyone I know. Do you think that your studies at Slade um, inform the way you looked at your development going forward? I do. I think you know the difference between artists and other people is not the ability to paint well, but it's seeing the world differently. Yeah. I think I think you know for better or worse we see more, and sometimes it can be a curse. But you know if you see everything, notice everything, you not often happy. You know you're you're <laughs> you're, you're continually working and improving and refining and. Uh, Heather knows, and I, I'm lucky to have a partner in Heather who accepts me for, you know, thinking about, because she, she's a partner in thinking about those things yes, and doesn't does. mind, yeah. you know, the conversation. Do you think the country marts would have turned out differently if you hadn't had the sabbatical? Definitely. I, it, it probably would have never happened. Yeah. I, I've been enormously lucky. You know, I mean, I've been so incredibly lucky with the people that I've met, the things I've had the opportunity to do. But when you, when you, if you ever to look back and analyze it, you were, well, that wouldn't have happened had this thing not happened first. And right. I had had a big disappointment with Sears Roebuck and Company, and I was ready for a break. And I, it's part of my recovery from that disappointment, yeah. Yeah. but also, you know, a refocus on what really mattered and what I needed to do to satisfy my, you know, my ambitions. I also find that some of the most creative people that I know are dyslexic. And I love, hmm. I love that you call it your superpower. Was it recognized as a child? Did you know what it was? Not at all. And, you know, my parents thought I wasn't trying hard. Yeah. And I, and I was, and I didn't understand why I just wasn't uh, getting better grades. I sort of was in denial about it because I thought, well, I'm going to, it'll be fine. I'm going to get to a good college and all of that. And, yeah. and it just, that's when it really hit me. Like, this is not, you know, going so well. Um, <laughs> but I didn't, get it. I didn't get into any colleges. I used to say things like, well, you're all right, but you're, you know, you're an upside down burner. And I used to think, well, what does that mean? I took a test when I was older and I was absolutely, completely dyslexic. Right. And it made, it was one of those moments where I was like, oh, that, that makes perfect sense. Right. You realize that if you can overcome it, it is a strength because, or it has been for me, I should say, because you maybe do things in an, in an alternative way. You're not doing it the normal way, yeah. but oftentimes the normal way is not a way that works. It right. doesn't, it's not successful. So how old were you when you realized that it was a positive attribute? It was part of the way I did things. I mean, the, the campaign to get into college, acquiring my first you know property and leasing it prior to owning. I mean, there's all sorts of crazy things that I, I was able to do, but I didn't really understand it or, or think about it seriously until I had children and was started to think, well, I wonder if they'll be like me and right. wonder what I, what I am, you know? So right. I think I, I more formally started to understand it after I got married and had children. One of the most incredible qualities that I keep hearing through this interview is your persistence to get into Berkeley, to own the country mart. Where do you think it comes from, and do you do you see it in your children? Well, I don't know if my children are going to be like me. My story goes back to my family, uh, I guess, like everybody's. And um, my grandfather was an orphan in Los Angeles who was also a paraplegic hmm. and um, a wonderful man. I was very close to him. He was 
pretty special, pretty, you know, a kind and hardworking person who overcame these obstacles and lived a long life. And at the end of his life, he actually was able to say that it was a better life in a wheelchair than it would have been Without. as an able-bodied person, yeah. which is pretty remarkable. So he overcame that disability. And then my mom, having lost my mom at a young age, I think all of that taught me, you know, if there's something you really want, you better pursue it. Life is short. The idea is that you, you should pursue what you most want. You've developed three different country marts in California. Will you talk to me about the history of the country mart? It, it is a California thing, a country mart. I don't, we don't have them in North Carolina. Our heritage is linked to the farmer's market at yeah. 3rd and Fairfax, which was built uh, 10 years before the Brevin Country Mart. And they're open air shopping villages. They're actually, I think, reminiscent of or intended to emulate an East Coast shopping village, giving people who had moved to Los Angeles mm -hmm. from the East Coast a sense of history and place. Brentwood Country Mart copied the Farmer's Market. It was built in 1948. I sort of got to be a little bit familiar with Fred Siegel and with Malibu Country Mart and just realized that the open-air outdoor environment and also our buildings, you know, they're not as old as other places, the East Coast or Europe. Right. Uh, but there are history. So if they're bored in Batten or they're Adobe, you know, there are history. If we don't preserve them, they won't be around for hundreds of years. Yeah. But people didn't come to the West Coast with expensive building materials. And so we didn't have ornate, elaborate buildings. We just had these shacks. And that's, I think, part of the history of the country marks, these you know wooden, primitive barn buildings. Yeah, barns. Well, and, and people really rode their horses there. I mean, that was a real They thing. did. We have pictures of uh, Gregory Pack on his horse at the <laughs> Brooklyn Country Mart and, you know, all the celebrities of the 50s, like Cary Grant and James Dean and Catherine Hepburn and Audrey Hepburn and Elizabeth Taylor. It's really an amazing Reagan. heritage. Ronald Reagan. <laughs> <laughs> what, what kind of community formed around the Country Mart in the 50s? How did it change through the 50s, 60s, 70s to today? It was always people who lived in Brentwood, Pacific Palisades, Santa Monica, West LA, and it still is. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a village for those local residents. They've always been a pretty prominent group of people. In fact, the early advertisements are amazing, you know, and say, you know, prominent people everywhere come to the country park. <laughs> and then, <laughs> an, an innovation in modern merchandising, and all this <laughs> kind of stuff. Um, Were you researching it even back then? When I got control of the Brooklyn Country Mart, the then owner gave me a scrapbook that, you know, was all the photographs and advertisements from the very beginning, from opening day. Wow. And so it was really a treasure. For me, it was kind of overwhelming. Yeah. yeah. Because, you know, as a boy who wanted this and was told I couldn't, I realized it was very, it wasn't organic. It was very intentional. Yeah. And, and these people had worked hard at, at making it and, so I've preserved that and, you know, continued the scrapbook. It was largely based on, you know, what had always been there and what had worked, but it was modern day versions of the services and shops and eateries that were there. I mean, many of the old merchants, you know, fashion stores or they had fashion shows in the mm -hmm. courtyard, you know, there was a, a King Carrot juice bar, you know, I mean, they were pretty innovative and they were pretty interesting merchants there. And I often think that 
we have you know the modern version of what they had in the in the 40s 50s it's not it hasn't really changed and you know with the simulacra of the whole world like everything is the same in a bad way this one actually this feels like this is the only almost the only thing that feels real anymore the country mart you know like it's it feels so I don't, every part of it you've done such an incredible job i mean physically the the architecture of it and keeping that and, and and just the i think the scale of it is really unusual you know people are so used to everybody blows everything up and makes it five stories high and you know like it's just like these egos and buildings and and you you've kept it to this human scale that is so unusual now you know where you can have real conversations with people and you can i feel like you see i, I can see things really differently there the light's different well, again, I've just been incredibly lucky because I fell in I fell in love with something <laughs> and wanted to preserve it. I didn't know that the world was going to change. I mean, I had a sense that you know malls all looked very similar, and I, you know there's a there's a sameness to yeah. what I call the usual suspects in the mall. You know, and no no offense, but I I, I knew I didn't want that. Yeah, but really, it was about falling in love with and preserving a place. Prior to uh, getting the Brentwood Country Mart, I purchased an old Art Deco movie theater in Santa Monica. Mm. I went before the Landmarks Commission and they all said, you seem really sincere about this preservation stuff. And I said, I am. And they said, well, why don't you join us then and become a Landmarks Commissioner? I did. Oh, wow. And was a Landmarks Commissioner in Santa Monica. So it's really about preservation, not just of art architecture, but of lifestyle. Yeah. And so I was given, or I got this, this great heritage, and I, all I've done is preserve it. What's the most important thing that you want people to feel when they're at the Mart? I still think back to my you know, first impressions of the Mart, which is that people were polite and nice. They said, please and thank you. They, they saw their friends and neighbors, and they actually meet people, which is something, you know, LA can be a very lonely place. Yeah, yeah agree. You're isolated from one another in your car or your home. And these places are incredibly important because people come together. Yeah. You know, I studied the Mart and thought about it so much. That there's little things that happen that people share tables with strangers, but they're, they're likely to talk to that person and meet that person. And, you know, that we all want, we're all social creatures. We enjoy being around other people. So it's part of life. Yeah. And in the pandemic, we realized how important social engagement is. We're focusing on Brentwood Country Mart, but you've got, you have three country marts, Marin and Montecito. And I also think, I don't know that I really understood you. I may not ever understand you, but I, <laughs> I don't know that I ever really understood you until I visited the other ones. And it made me respect you even more because of the way that you respected the buildings and respected the spaces that, that they, you didn't try to make them the Brentwood Country Mart. You, you allowed them to be of their era because they're from different time periods, right? Right. Montecito was built in the 60s and Marin was built in the 70s. So I yeah. feel like I've got this, you know, 90. 48, which is basically the 50s version of a mart and then of a shopping village and then a 60s village and then a 70s village. But they're also different places. They're all yeah. in California, but Brentwood is a little different than Montecito and sure. Montecito is a little different than Marin. And they're all 
got, they've got some real similarities, which is why we, we chose those locations. And I love all three communities. It's nice when people say nice things about, um, and thank you for saying nice things about <laughs> Marin and Montecito, because I did have a freer hand. Yeah, I felt like I had a freer hand to do what I wanted to do in uh, Marin and Montecito because there wasn't, they weren't beloved properties that just had to preserve. They were places that maybe weren't beloved. Right. And I had to I had to make them more charming, more appealing. And so it's been really fun and hard work to w- work on those yeah. two properties the last 10 plus years. But I, I don't think I've really understood you till I visited those. And then I then I was like, wow, he he really is a preservationist. I mean you're that was my lingering feeling. I just thought the the thoughtfulness and the care that you've taken in all of these places to allow them to be what they were, but better, is really, really unusual, I think. I mean, and all the developers I've seen, I wouldn't call you, a, I mean, I don't Thanks. know. <laughs> yeah, the, the term developer doesn't uh, No, it doesn't really apply to you. To me because I haven't, you're, I haven't you're built a caretaker. buildings in my life. You're a yeah, caretaker. I'm someone who preserves the buildings that we have, yeah. and we surely have enough retail buildings in this country, I think we'll have probably have too many. Well, speaking of caretaking, you are the father and stepfather of four boys. Um, yes. What, tell me, what about fatherhood brings you the most joy? It's an incredible experience, obviously. I love being a dad and I love all four of them. One thing that's interesting, you know, the, the Winslow, my youngest, when he was five, he came to me and he said, daddy, I heard that you love your work. Is that true? And it took me a minute, but I realized what he was already knew at five was that most people don't love their work. Right. When I realized that, I said, oh, yeah, Winslow, I love, we, I don't just love, I mean, I'm crazy about it. It's <laughs> incredible. We get to create these environments and we get to help people with their businesses. And, you know, it's, it's wonderful. I, I, I hope and think that, I could be a role model to them of some sort and that they would be positively influenced by what we get to do. Well, I mean, I think that that really is the greatest gift to show to show your children that. I mean, I, I have to think that for myself, too, because there's a lot of guilt, you know, with being away and the amount of time when you when you do love your work and you're devoted to it, how, how much it takes you away from your children. So I hope that I think that is a gift to show them that it, it can be a great love. Yeah. Joyous labor. And and truly, I mean, very rare, I think. Finding the thing that you really want to do is is really the key. Yeah, that's the advice I give when I speak to young people is, you know, figure out what you you most love because you're the only one that needs to do it. We're asking everybody to share their favorite memory at the Country Mart. Do you have a favorite memory? The most important thing that happened to me at the Mart is I met my wife. (laughs) True. um, they say, don't fall in love with your tenants, but I did. And um, <laughs> meeting Heather was obviously the most important thing that's happened. I've never been at a place like it. And I think every time I get there, <laughs> I really, I'm always like, I wish he could just put a little room for me up above the store. Just so I just need a cot. I would live there if I could. I mean, it is, it's, well, it's so enchanting. We'll have to work. We'll have to talk about that okay, because okay. we'd love you to live there, and uh, <laughs> you know you're incredible, and 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 your store is incredible, and it's really you and other people like you that give it the magic that it. You know, it's I, I get a lot of credit, but I I want it to be about you, 
and it should be about you and the other wonderful merchants that we have. And, yeah. you know, the more time that you're there, the better. Yeah, <laughs> the yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, and there's nothing like the footsteps of the owner. And that, that yeah. goes for all the merchants. Well, and we have a lot of merchants who are independent, you know, passionate individuals and their presence uh, makes a big difference. Yeah, agreed. It's really incredible what you've done. It's, I hope you're proud of what you've created. Well, w- with your help, but I'm 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 proud of surviving the pandemic. I mean, I think that's the first thing. Um, in Charlotte, you know, we've been here 25 years, and I'm proud of surviving the recession here. But this was a hard thing to go through after a year of being in business. But it also oddly was a really good thing. I think that it allowed us to be closer to our clients, to have more real relationships. It was a great opportunity for us, actually. Um, and I, it took us a minute to to realize that and to lean into that. But once we did, it, it ended up being a really good thing for us. I, I know that sounds crazy, but... <laughs> no, it's, I think that's one of the hardest things is to realize the benefits, but it was a crisis for all of us. And it was a really scary really thing to scary. go through. And you know, it's hard to go through something that challenging that you've never experienced before. Yeah. How to behave, what to yeah. do, um, you know, how to how to be courageous when you're not really sure how this, this yeah. story is going to end. Exactly. So it's faith. And, you know, I'm grateful that I had mentors and people to help me get through it. And, you know, I'm, I'm grateful to all the, the merchants that we had that all I kept thinking was we got to get through this, you know, and, yeah. and get through it together. But I also think it's such a, I mean, the energy is so great there that I think that people were so down and, and so ready for human connection. Um, for me, I mean, it was, the, it was the first place anybody wanted to go. I mean, that was, you just wanted to be there because that was where everything felt normal. That's where, you know, you saw people, you could eat together, you could hug, you can, you know, all the things that you normally do. It was almost like the country mart was the pinnacle of it all. That was the place where everything was okay. Well, I think that's true. And it's, and the scale of it is smaller. And so it feels safe and Mm -hmm. open air. And we're, like I said, lucky to just have that physical plant and everybody gets some, some good luck in their life. And (laughs) and it's important to, it's important to recognize it and appreciate it. And yeah, and I've had, you know, more than my fair share. I've had, I've had just so much good fortune. Well, one thing too, Jim, you mentioned our, mm-hmm. the store is so bright and colorful. And I think when we first opened, people were, there was a little bit of trepidation about that. And maybe there's too much color. Maybe it's too, it's too happy. And I think that one of the things that happened post pandemic was everybody was so wanting to wear a bright pink dress. You know, everybody was so excited to have something really bright and pretty. And, and luckily we had a store full of it. <laughs> Well, that was like, I remember when I visited you in Charlotte, I thought, you know, all this pretty, colorful clothing, <laughs> kind people, this is, this is what LA needs. This is great. <laughs> and, and I don't, you know, I'm not an expert on fashion, but, but it seems to me that my job is to lead a little and it would be good if LA had you and, <laughs> and thankfully you um, knew and loved the mart, which was amazing. Then, as you say, the pandemic hit, which none of us could have predicted. But I do think color is a very important part of of coming out of it is. this pandemic. You know, we're grateful those of us who have survived this and been through it for our good fortune. And I know I I wore a lot of 
bright colors myself, trying to cheer myself up and my family up. Totally. And, you know, <laughs> it's hard, you know, and color was a really useful way of, uh, and probably will continue to be for some time. One thing I didn't say, which I, I should say, is how touched um, I am by the design of your store that you and Pam Shimshiri and Irene Newworth and Perry mm -hmm. put together a store that is so special and expresses your love of the Mart with the board and batten on the inside and the jewelry case inside of a <laughs> horse. I mean, it's, it's incredible and made, you know, made me cry when I saw it Aww. because you, you know, it, I realized that my love and affection for this place is shared with you all and and uh it absolutely that's incredibly is. meaningful yeah, yeah it's incredibly special one of the questions we ask um on every podcast is what our guests wore to the prom so do tell I went to a few proms. <laughs> Look at uh, you. The, the first one that I went to, I was quite young. I would think I was a sophomore in high school. It was a junior prom, and I, I Saturday Night Fever had just come out, and I <laughs> wanted to wear, and I did wear a white three-piece no, suit. That's awesome. It was terrible. <laughs> was your date it, excited? I don't know. I mean, I couldn't drive. <laughs> I had, someone else had to drive, and... We double dated to the prom and I wore this, I thought it was cool, you know, John Travolta, Saturday Night Fever. But um, after that, I can tell you, I only wore a black tuxedo. I, I st stuck to the script since okay. then. But I appreciate the first one. That was, I like you stepping out in your white three-piece. It was a big mistake, a big fashion faux pas. <laughs> Well, thanks for admitting it. <laughs> I like even more. <laughs> thank you, Jim, so much. And um, thank you so much for the opportunity for us to, to be there with you at the Country Mart. And thanks for taking the time to talk with me. Thank you, Laura. I can't tell you how touched I am by all of it. Your beautiful store, your your podcast, you're, you're an amazing person. And uh I hope that everybody gets to visit Capitol at the <laughs> Thank you. Well, just at least I hope everybody gets to get have ready check at least. Just do that first. What We Wore is produced by Capitol and Balto Creative Media. The original song, Someone So Enchanting, was composed and performed by Britt Drazda. Queen City Podcast Network.com.